It's time to shake up that paradigm. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. This is Patrick Donahoe, and uh, I'm excited to be here with uh, an awesome guest in studio, Andy Tanner. Andy, what's going on? Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Awesome. Always good to see you. It's my, uh, my pleasure and honor to, to have you here. Uh, so as, as, uh, as, far as, as far as announcements are concerned, we have some cool things that are coming up. Uh, we're actually releasing a, uh, an iPhone app for our Infinite 101 product that's coming out uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, so make sure you uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, also, we've made some improvements to uh, some of our e-learning online. Many of you have uh, have registered for that. Uh, so there are some uh, some new features. And so make sure you go to our website and uh, and check those out. And we'll be right back with the interview with uh, Andy Tanner. Infinite Banking Radio is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Paradigm Life's mission is to provide sound financial education. The lack of it in our society is the root cause of many of the social and political problems that exist. As a result, individuals continue to follow the status quo and make financial decisions that fail them. Infinite Banking Radio will address the difficult to tackle financial issues that are out there and most importantly, give you the viable solutions and strategies to solve them. The topics you'll hear about range from specific economic and market issues to theoretical big picture ideas and strategies. Over the last seven years, our guests have been renowned economists, best-selling authors, and successful real estate investors to help solidify our perspective with the end goal to help you, our valuable listener, to make better financial decisions and come closer to financial freedom. Now here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. So it's an honor to welcome Andy Tanner in the office. Andy, you don't you live a, a stone's throw away as well, so it's cool to it's cool to have you here. Really nice, nice and convenient. It's always good to come down and chat and hang out. Yeah, and I think I'm on your when you're standing up, you uh, you're a, you're a monster over me. So sitting <laughs> down, I, I kind of I feel a little bit less uh, intimidated. <laughs> Maybe we'll have you stand up before uh, before it's over today. Yeah, you gotta uh, you gotta go to the circus and see the the, the Neanderthal, you know, pay your twenty five cents and so see. Is that, that what your predecessors did? I assume. <laughs> All right, so so Andy, it's uh, so we've we've only known each other for a few. I've known about you for a long time. Uh, we obviously have uh, Elevation Group in common. They uh, they've done some cool things with some of your material, and uh, it's amazing to see how you approach things, which we're going to talk about today. Um, but we were also on the uh, the Real Estate Guys cruise this past year. Oh, it was a blast. And I mean, it was a blast for you because most of the people that were presenting there were big uh, paper paper people. Or not people, uh, hard assets. Yeah, hard assets. Hard asset guys, real estate guys. Yeah. You convinced them otherwise. But you being <laughs> you being the paper guy, did you feel intimidated at all? You know, I, I didn't. Well, I just wanted to go to learn. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the cast, you know, you're on there. Mm-hmm. You know, all the other guys are on there. It was a lot of fun. Peter Schiff. Yeah. And uh, and it was fun because I found out everyone was talking about hard assets, but there was a lot of closet paper people because <laughs> they come up in private now. They didn't know it. Tell me about this. Yeah. So it was a great experience yeah. and just a great faculty. Yeah. I mean, the real estate guys they do a great job with that every year. Mm-hmm. Now, I've but, made comments to you before, I, I, and uh, I'm impressed because a lot of those guys go to conferences and speak and are on panels. But they're all yes men. They all kind of think and feel the same way. So you don't find a lot of debate. 
Uh, but right. on the cruise, that's it's kind of a, a melting pot for debate. It was really it was really neat because you had different perspectives on things such as such as yours. And oftentimes you were having conversations where individuals, you know, basically didn't recognize the fact that uh, that they did believe a different way. They just never had the opportunity to debate their ideology back and forth. Yeah, there's you know the the saying there's three sides to every coin: heads, yeah. tails, and the edge. And, the edge, and yeah. intelligence exists at the edge. You got to mm-hmm. see both sides. Yep to be intelligent. It certainly was the case on the cruise. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's, and I, I love debate. Not, not, to, not to beat a dead horse, but debate often, when you, see both, when you see both sides of the picture, you're able to form a more accurate opinion. And I went to a, I went to a conference a few years ago, and it was interesting because they had, it was, a, it was a kind of a libertarian, free market type of co- uh, convention or conference uh, down in Vegas, and they were debating uh, unions. Hmm. And it was cool because it was an actual literal debate. They brought economists and people that thought uh, pro-union hmm. and then obviously the anti-union. And it was neat because in that, uh, in that debate that the audience voted on whether uh, the, the pro or the, the, the anti won. Hmm. And it was a split decision. And no even though thing. it was a libertarian you know, free market crowd, it was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, you, well, people get steeped in tradition. You always want to hang on to your own tradition. But if it's a, a good debate and it's a healthy debate, that gives you the opportunity to learn something new. And if you have decide you've already made up your mind on everything, well, you're not going to learn anything new. So it's a great opportunity to have new thoughts yep. and uh, cause new actions. And that's the best part of being being a human is uh, you never arrive at this place where you suddenly know everything, whether it's your individual or collective. Sure. You know, we're always progressing. We're always innovating. That's just part of our natural, natural being. So obviously, being in an environment where we're able to stimulate your thoughts just helps you progress even quicker. Because you, sure. you can obviously read books and do things on your own, but when you're, there's something about being in a group. And what's cool about the cruise is you can't really escape that group because you're kind of confined to this cruise ship for a whole week. And you have to, you know, you don't necessarily have to, I guess, but uh, you go to classrooms and you're associated with the, uh, you know, same amount of people and you get to have dinner together and just obviously yep. converse and well and the, learn. Di- the dynamic of being a week long it's not a meeting you go to express an opinion you get a chance to sleep on it overnight and you're there for a whole week yeah. so it's it's quite an experience so it's cool it's awesome you had your your uh your wife there and your kids there it was, yeah. it was really cool to meet yeah, them they, and they, see their experience they didn't sink the ship so yeah, I, I, just, <laughs> I, just glad I think some alarms it. went off every, a few <laughs> I, times but. yeah something happens i'm looking worse my boys uh, but it was cool to connect with you there i think we have yeah. uh, some your business is obviously a little different than ours. We're going to talk about uh, that today. Um, but why don't you give the listeners just some some background of where you came from, what you're doing, who you are? Sure, great. Well, I, I guess the best place to start is I was like most people that are listening to this podcast. Uh, everyone grows up to the point where they say, "What am I going to be when I grow up?" And I didn't have any goals. I, I wanted to play basketball in college, and that's about as far as I saw. So after that was over, I went into business for myself and. Uh, the thing that got me interested in paper assets was really the dot-com bust, is everyone had taught me to diversify uh, for the long term and, and hold on this. And when the, when the dot-com bubble burst, I really I thought, well, wait a minute, we were, we were doing everything right here, and here we have these losses. So like a lot of people, I started to read. I started to go to classes and seminars. And so I, you know, I don't come from Wall Street, uh, which is interesting. I, they say, well, you're the rich dad advisor for paper assets. You must have an a MBA in uh, economics. Not true. Uh, I'm like most people that are probably listening to this podcast. You know, I'm a person who uh, want to do better for my family. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I have a huge love for teaching. 
and those two interests in uh, paper and my love for teaching came together and that uh, that's what brings me to what we do now so how did so you're a, you're currently a rich dad advisor so what does mm-hmm. that what does that mean well much like uh, you know you and I are both part of the uh, of the elevation group mm-hmm. and they have a board of advisors on mm-hmm. different financial topics and Robert Kiyosaki is the same thing he has groups of people that he knows and where uh, where they're an educational organization to transform people through learning and and uh, education, there's areas of real estate, there's areas of stock, business, tax, and so uh, I I think Robert just likes me because I I make the case uh, on the other. You talked about debate, yeah. I talk about the other side of the mutual fund industry, yeah. and uh, that's probably where he sees me as the biggest asset. Is is uh, he's not a big fan of of that, and neither am I. And and uh, I know I know you have your feelings yeah, on we'll, that too. We'll, we'll we'll share those feelings <laughs> in, a, in just a little bit. <laughs> so that's how that came to be. And okay. and uh, how long have you been with Rich Dad for as an advisor? Oh, gee, I won't know how many years that's been. It's been years though. I think okay. the first major event we did was uh, in uh, in Singapore. That's probably been five or six years ago now. Cool. So, cool. Yeah. So what? Uh, so we're gonna talk about your books. So you, you've written two books. Uh, the first one that you wrote was 401 Chaos. <laughs> it's a pretty bold, it's a bold, <laughs> it's a, that's a bold title. So what, uh, what gave you the idea to write a book? You know, uh, one of my business partners, Mike Dennison, who helps me organize all the teaching we do, came to a, uh, a live event that I was doing, and I was talking about uh, 401ks mm-hmm. and some of the pitfalls that people might not be aware of. And when and, and people tend to get riled up, you know, they had pitchforks and torches oh, ready yeah. to storm the castle. And and he came up to me at the break. He says, you know, this would be a premise for uh, for a book. And I have to give him credit for the title. He had it on a piece of paper, and it was in Dallas. And by the time I, I had gotten home, I had written that book or at least outlined, outlined it, it on the airplane. And uh, and there it came to be. So really, all it does, Patrick, is there's you you mentioned earlier in the program the idea of debate. And the ability to see both sides, and when someone sees their foreign case statement, they see their side, <laughs> and all this really does is show you Wall Street side, and then you can make better decisions about where you might want to be. So is that the premise? Is that the premise of the book? The premise is to show the four one k from the perspective of those that actually created it. Yeah, it's certainly a one sided book because it is the other side of the mm-hmm. coin. Uh, it's not written to be fair. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, it's written to say okay. What is the case for 401ks? We've heard that from every mutual fund manager, everyone on Wall Street, every, every human resource uh, department is going to come out and make the case for 401ks. Is there anyone making a case saying, well, are there some things to think about? And so there's 14 chapters, and it's just 14 things to think about um, to balance this, this discussion, because it is your money. Yeah. Here, here's the fu- here's the funny thing. It's like people should should be suspect if everybody from the media to academia to Wall Street to your human resource manager, if everybody is saying that this is that should there should be some suspect there because there is yeah. no debate. Well, everybody thinks it's this yeah. perfect. Yeah. You know, it's like the government. If they didn't, they've got tons of stuff wrong or wrong whether it's the post office or the department of education or the war on terror or the war on drugs so they've got all this other stuff right but they happen to get the 401k right you know the well and not to get too detailed but 
What's funny about saying they got that right is the 401k was an accident. It was never designed. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me going. <laughs> it was never designed to shoulder retirement. In fact, it yeah. wasn't even invented as a retirement program. Yeah. This was a law yeah. uh, that was developed in the 70s that was later on, a couple years later, was just kind of tweaked. Yeah. And it's the law of unintended consequences. Next thing you know, we've replaced the entire planet's retirement ideas. <laughs> and Wall Street is, uh, I promise you this, all of those people you just mentioned you know, are making money, they're giving that advice for a reason. And uh, it's not, they're not the Red Cross here. This is not a humanitarian effort when you go to Wall Street. They're not a volunteer organization. They are for profit. And uh, so this book helps you understand that a little bit. No, it's a great, and I've read it. It's, it's a great, it's a great read. Where can people get the book? Amazon? Um, do you have it on Amazon? Yeah, you can get it on Amazon.com. Okay. Uh, you know, Kindle, whatever you want to do. And uh, you, know, you can go to 401chaos.com and there's opportunities there as well. So okay. uh, good stuff. We're going to slam for, we're gonna slam the 401k <laughs> in just a second. I'm, itch, I'm itching, but, but if we did it right now, we wouldn't be able to talk about your new book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is your new book, Stock Market, Stock Market Cash Flow. So this yeah. is, you did write this under... The, the Rich Dad uh, Rich Dad Advisor so, brand. Yes, I did. Um, Robert asked me to write that book. I guess if 401k house is a problem, we easy to talk it's about problems. Let's hope it's a solution. Got it. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. The, the stock market cash flow book isn't to turn someone into Warren Buffett overnight. Um, I, I think it'd be arrogant to say you can write a book and solve everyone's problems. Mm-hmm. What it does do is it shows what a person can study. If a person wants to get better in paper assets... What are the topics I should study? How can I be introduced to those topics and get just a basic foundation to see if that's somewhere I like to go? So that's what that book's for. So we'll see how it does. And this just came out like just a couple weeks ago, didn't it? Yeah, brand new. Okay, cool. Brand new. And uh, it was very challenging to write. I'm I'm not much of an author or writer. I I depend on a lot of people to help me. Uh, I enjoy things like we're doing now much, much more, but... But uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a great blessing for people to learn more about a topic that generally isn't covered in school. Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting with, with books, and it's, uh, I think it's easier to write the book than to come up with the idea to write the book. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I think the idea is where it has the value, the articulation sometimes. It's like you can be the greatest articulator in the world, but if you don't have any ideas, no one's going to buy your book. Yeah. So, no, I, I think uh, I haven't read the Stock Market Cashflow yet, but uh, 401 Chaos was, was awesome. Um, Okay, so on, you have a website as well, you, and they can buy the book. People can buy the book off your website. Yeah, Amazon's where we sell the book. It's okay. going to be okay, in Barnes and Noble shortly, and so they'll be able to get it in Barnes and Noble. But Amazon's the best place to go cool. uh, to get the books. You said something cool on the cruise. You said if you really want to learn something, write a book. And I said, "What do you mean? I can't read a book and learn something?" <laughs> and then you said, "Well, have you read uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People?" Yeah. And everyone <laughs> and says, I said, yes. "Everyone's like, yeah." Everyone. And then, and then you said, "What?" Name the seven habits. Name the seven habits. <laughs> Nobody so, can name them. You know, I do the same thing with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's sold 33 million copies in yeah. 92 languages. Yeah. And I've been all over the world. And I say, what's the six, lesson in, in, six lessons in Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yeah. Nobody knows. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you talk about, again, the two sides to every coin. What a great way to learn something. And I learned more. I mean, I, I wrote the book about foreign cases because I'd researched it thoroughly. But mm-hmm. when you go to write a book... It's worth doing if just for yourself, yeah. because I learned so much more having to go deeper, having to make your case. Uh, it's a great learning activity instead of reading, write one. Yeah. All right. So, so what did you discover in writing? So obviously, you're you're in the financial services industry. You you trade. 
So you're obviously writing about what the other traders are doing, what Wall Street is doing, how how kind of world markets work in mm-hmm. a sense. So did you did you discover anything surprising when you were writing these books, or did most of the stuff that you dis- were writing about you already knew? No, I, I'd say the the biggest thing I did, I, I had studied four hundred one k's for what they were, and I I knew what I saw I wasn't pleased with. I think the greatest discovery as I began writing the book, and I don't talk much about it in the book, but in my conversations and radio interviews outside of it is people are absolutely fascinated with the origin of the 401k because people don't know where the origin is. And as mm-hmm. I began to research the book, I don't spend a lot of time on it in the text, but people are generally blown away by the story. It's a fascinating story of how how did all of a sudden we, how did it get the name 401k? Where did it come from? Yeah. Who decided to do this? Who came up with the idea first? So yeah. that was fascinating uh, to find so, out. So we won't give it away and talk about it right now. It's in the <laughs> no. book, though. No. Uh, yeah, and it it it, it is because it's not it's a it's become a replacement of what individuals had anticipated with working for a company. Yeah, which was really to find benefit plans it, or pension plans, right? Yeah, if if you want to start at the very beginning, which is not in the book, the first pension plan was by American Express, eighteen seventy five. Wow! So before then, you didn't retire; you died on the plow. Yep. And, and I, pro- I think the next milestone would be in the 60s when the Studebaker company went out of business hmm. and all these people said, uh, hey, we have no pension. Because they bankrupted out of their pension or yeah, they went yeah. out of business. And, okay. So they went yeah. to President Kennedy and said, what can you do for us? And President Kennedy <laughs> said, ask not what <laughs> well, your country could do for you. And they you said, can what can you do for us anyway? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so by the time for President Ford got around, they made some legislation right. called ERISA. And uh, that put a lot of enmity between, yep. you know, regulation on get your pension straight. Yep. But then the thing that was unrelated, a lot of people think a risk was the reason for it. Not really. Not really. Uh, in 1978, the uh, there were some executives, some lobbyists that wanted to get some corporate laws changed on deferred revenues. And there you got your 401k. Yeah. Put money aside. We don't taxes. pay tax till later. Yep. And there was an attorney named Ted Benna. And in 1980, he was working with a bank, a client, and he said, hey, let's create a fund that your employees put money into and we'll defer that revenue. You'll match it with pre-tax dollars and you'll cut them off at retirement. And the bank said, that's awesome. How come we haven't been doing this before? And he said, I just come up with it. And so the bank said no. That's where it really started. bank said no. Ted went back to his own own, uh, company, the Mm -hmm. law firm. They said, we'll do it. So there was never a brain trust, and there was never a think tank of smart women and men that got together and said, let's create a retirement program. This was designed for a totally different purpose, and an attorney named Ted Benna uh, came up with it, and it just caught on. Because it saves, first thing it does, it saves companies. Imagine this. Instead of having to pay someone that doesn't work there until they die a set amount, you throw a few bucks at them while they're working, when they retire, you're done. Saves companies hundreds of billions of dollars. And uh, and off it went, man. And the mutual fund m- people said, wait, 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 wait. We're going to put people on autopilot? Oh, baby. They're going to buy mutual funds from us no matter what, every paycheck? So it's an interesting discussion to have. But, but yeah, a lot of people don't know that's how it uh, originated. And if you talk to Ted today, his words are, uh, we should scrap it. Really? The so very, he's still yeah. alive and he's made, made oh, yeah, some statements he's, about he's it. He's still alive. No one's wow. got to him yet. <laughs> But why, yeah, w- why would they? Yeah, well, you know, the mutual fund people don't care. Don't, but yeah. but he, he looks like he's, he's half proud and half not. He's proud he came up with an idea, but hmm. he says, this thing's become such a mess, they ought to hit the reset button. 
because so, today it is one of those sacred cows that that people have, and yeah. it has empowered this massive, massive industry. Yeah. And so you talk a lot about mutual funds in uh, in the book, because the mutual fund industry is, I mean, it kind of rules the world in a sense. You know, because it's a tens of trillions of dollar industry, and looking at and you get into you know the fee structures and how they make money and what they're able to do with with that money and so why don't you talk to that a little bit yeah there there's the issue of fees um when you actually do the math and it's not just me i mean you've got giants in the industry like vanguard's john bogle and, yeah. and others that they they you do the math they get the lion's share and i guess the best way to explain it when i was a kid you know we took a family trip to Disneyland. We drove, you know, five feet of luggage on top of the car. And, <laughs> and, uh, and as we went through Las Vegas on our way, I'd never seen a casino before and the lights mm. and the ooh and the neat. And I said, mm. dad, that looks fun. He said, son, you know, look at the size of these buildings. They're the ones that make the money. Well, if you look at Wall Street, they got big buildings and they make the lion's share of this money. No, no question about it. It's one of the reasons I like what you guys do. Um, you know, it's almost like there's no alternative to a 401k. People don't, or at least they don't know about an alternative to 401k. And when you talk about fees, and I think even a bigger issue is the risk that people take with no control. Yep. Um, you know, what you guys do gives people such an, an incredible alternative. You know, what happens is, is when people read my book, the first question they say is, well, what's my alternative? And, uh, and I think that's important for people. I hope that's what the book does is getting them asking the question, okay, should I get educated yep. and what else can I learn about? Yep. And that's where you guys provide a great, great, you know, you fill that space. Yep. Well, at the end well. of the day, it's, it's, and that's what it should incite is that question of what should I do? And it's your response is great, which is, it's not like you're replacing this product with another product. You need to replace what you've been doing with education so that you know what you're doing. That you, boy, you hit that right on the head because the, the, the premise is, is that the problem really isn't a lack of money in the world. We're printing plenty, but there is a lack of education about what your choices are. And as long as we're depending on others to make those choices, well, often those choices tend to benefit the, the person submitting the idea. Exactly. So, so it really is a book on education and about, or the lack thereof. And hopefully it motivates someone like, like it did for me. Yep. You know, I, I said, I want to learn more about this. And I hope other people do too. Yeah, I, re I really do think people are becoming aware because this is, I mean, this is the, the, it's the lion's share of a person's savings. I mean, it's where they have all of their money. They, oh, it is, yeah. And the fear associated, I mean, it's almost become cliche to talk about, you know, getting your 401k statement and not looking at, not looking at it, throwing it in the garbage because you're afraid of what it's going to say. Well, and a lot of people, they just, well, throw it in the garbage because if they look at it and they don't like it, they don't change anyway. <laughs> you know, so save yourself the grief and look yeah. at it in 30 years. But you're right. There used to be a three-legged stool of your pension. You know, your savings, maybe a little Social, Social Security. Security yeah. Well, the pensions are gone. And the economy's rough to save money in. And who'd want to save a Federal Reserve note as they lose value? Yep. So the world has changed. And it's changing faster and faster. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can, uh, we can help spur people uh, to get what they really want in the yep. first place. is a clear picture of both sides of the story. So they can make informed decisions and feel much more confident about the future. I think there's an example you use in the book, which is awesome. And and uh, 
I might botch this. So you might have to help me out. But you <laughs> you basically talk about the the three kind of the three parties that are involved with a four hundred one k. You have you, the individual, yeah. But then you have Wall Street, and yeah. then you have the government, yes. Which is obviously the the one that's giving you this tax. I guess you can call it a loophole or tax benefit or whatever. But you talk about a contribution of a thousand bucks, and the government <laughs> foregoes you know taking its its tax right now. Uh, that thousand dollars goes to Wall Street, and again, like you like you were mentioning. It uh, you know it's systematic. It goes on a monthly basis yeah. or a semi or, or autopilot, autopilot every other yeah. or every paycheck, and uh, goes into their hands. And based on the fee that's associated with it, you kind of break out what they benefit, how they benefit. Yeah, and you break out how the government benefits, and then yeah. how the individual does. Well, you know, you talk about the tax. I think the the fun thing was we just finished a political season a few you know a couple of years ago. We're yep. getting heated up for another one. And I thought it was interesting that Mitt Romney was embarrassed to show his tax rate yeah. because he's going to pay a 15% rate, mm-hmm. which is a capital gain rate. Why? Well, he takes risk. You know, he takes risk. And so he was all nervous about that. What's interesting is ordinary income, let's say you're in a 35% tax bracket. That's money you get from your job. Yeah. When you put money in a 401k, you're dodging that 35% for mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is once you put that in the stock market, you're taking the same risk that all the investors, you know, like your like your buddy Mitt would would have, yeah. and then when you go pull that money out, you don't get the risk takers benefit. Nope. You're paying ordinary income, so the government actually makes more money, and you're taking more risk. So yep. that's the government side. On Wall Street side, they're they're funny because they like to. Uh, you know, they like to be the Superman and act like they're the savior of this. Yeah. And you'll see more of this, Patrick. We can talk about the future, too. You know, the, the retirement system starts to falter. You know, pensions are faltering. You know, can't afford to pay the pensions. Yeah. So we'll swoop in and say, buy our mutual funds. We'll fix it. <laughs> and they make lots of money with that. Don't think you've heard the last of privatization of Social Security. Because if that starts to be threatened, they'll yep. say, hey, you know what? Let us handle it. We'll privatize this. And what they get out of it is exactly what you said. Yep. Whether it goes up, down, or sideways, they take their fees. Yep. And, uh, and so what is the investor less? He, he has a worse tax situation. He's, his money's being gobbled up in fees at a huge rate. And, and then finally, he has to take the risk that if the, if the market falls down, that little finish line you've been running towards for retirement gets pushed out another 10 years, another 20 years. It's a rough deal. Well, another thing too, it's kind of like you're you're foregoing, you're deferring income into these into these plans for 20, yeah. 30, 35 years. And another side of the government that they take is they I mean, it's the Federal Reserve policy is that they want to have 2 to 3% inflation. Yeah. And so you look at two again, the 2 to 3% fee that you talk about in regards to what Wall Street is charging, then you look at a 2 to 3% reduction in the purchasing power of that money after tax 30 years down the road oh. and you look at how much is left because that's a, you know in your diagram you paint a pretty gloomy picture if you were then to paint the picture of here's what your money will buy now yeah. then versus oh, what geez. it buys it's like but people again all the data is there and there's yeah. not like it's not like there of course this is not the dominating theory or opinion out there but there's a lot of people that are talking about about this it's I mean, growing it really is. There's yep. a groundswell of documentaries now that have come out since the book. There's yep. a groundswell of information. And I think the biggest thing that's making people get more attention to this is as they approach this finish line in retirement, they're looking them out. The biggest, here's an interesting thing you'll, you'll find fascinating. A pension 
gave you an income. It was a golden goose. Mm -hmm. Gave you an income till you died. That's your life. So really, you know, retirement was a function of cash flow. Mm -hmm. And what happened was when they cut those pension off, they made it into net worth. So now the goal is to store up a big enough amount of money. Your number. Yeah, your number, ING, you know, get your number. Store up a big enough amount of money that when you retire, you make a judgment, will this last me? Yeah. So you've gone from a golden goose to a golden egg. And that is not a small difference to go from, okay, the company's responsible for my retirement. The stock market could go up, down, sideways, but I'm going to get my pension. It's their problem. Yep. To oh, the market could go down, I'm going to pay fees, there's inflation, a lot of judgments a guy's got to make now yeah. with 401k. You know, you take a graph of what you guys do mm. and put it against a graph of the S&P 500. Yeah. The S&P 500 looks like it's built at Six Flags Amusement Park, <laughs> you know, on an on a, on a amusement park ride, up and yeah. down, up and down, a roller coaster. And you look at the history of what you guys do, it's so much more consistent yep. in the upward trend it just makes for a good baseline. And I, I think if people compare those two, they have to investigate further. Well, it's, it was interesting. I was at a conference uh, about a year ago, actually a year, year ago next week. And, and I was, it, was at, it was an insurance company. And there are two parts of the insurance company. There's, an, a, there's the insurance side, and then there's like a securities side. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting next to a guy that I didn't really know. And he leaned over to me and he said, you know what? I kind of envy you guys. And he's in the, you know, he's, he met, he, I guess it was his father's practice or something like that. He's like, you know, my dad bought me this policy when I was, when I was young and it's actually outperformed anything that I've ever done in the market. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I like, holy crap. But yeah, the point is, it's, is the market is not, it's not the market. It's what you're doing with, with the market, what type of products yeah. you're buying, what your strategy is, what your system is. Because when somebody thinks of themselves as an investor because they own mutual funds inside of a 401k, yeah. It's that's it's false because they're not an investor. They're not really doing anything. They're contributing to it, but the investor is the the person that's you know obviously trading and managing the money for them. Yeah. Okay. That the, the so-called investor, right? But I mean, the, then looking at some of the more more uh, modern funds that they have. This is a couple years ago, and I first heard about the target date funds. Yeah. Where it's like there's this target date in 2050 and. And we've positioned these different things so that in 2050, you're going to make out like a band or 2045. And it's like... Bold claims. Those are bold it's claims. It's this, and it's the same thing that people have been saying. Anyway. Same well, risk, if, if you can picture this, you know, people are listening. Risk has a relationship with control. And the more control I have over something, the less risk there is. Yep. But the less control I have over something the more risk there is. And if I have no control, they call that gambling. And when you think about tying your retirement to a market, mm -hmm. you cannot make it go up today. You cannot stop it from going down tomorrow. Yep. Uh, you're really giving up a lot of control. The insurance business is about paying premiums for promises. And there's a, there's a degree of control in that. Yeah. You know, I pay, I, I don't know that lightning won't strike my house. So I buy an insurance policy to where I have control over that now. With mm -hmm. the lightning strikes, well, I've, I've, got, I've got promises in place. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we wrote a little about in one of Robert's books, The Unfair Advantage, mm -hmm. is the difference between amateurs and pros is amateurs diversify and hope for the best. Yeah. Pros always buy insurance. Yeah. They, you know, Mark Cuban did this to protect his stocks from falling. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, George Soros is doing it right now. And amateurs in 401ks, they do not use insurance or promises 
to give them any type of guarantees. And, uh, and so what you bring to the table is attractive. Mm. It, you know, it should be investigated at, at minimum. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the insurance industry is a fascinating industry because yeah. of what insurance does, but how people come up with insurance. Because mm-hmm. insurance is all about probability and statistics. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not guessing, oh, this 16-year-old, you know, they come from a good family, so they, they probably won't get in an accident. Yeah. No, they look at all the diff- other 16-year-olds and look I, at the accidents that they've had yeah. and the red lights and the you know, lack of expertise and or lack of experience or whatever. Same thing with any insurance. Every insurance policy is designed with uh, sorry, like an actuarial table yeah, in it's mind, designed with probability yep. and math and statistics. There's no gambling involved at all. Yeah. Um. But th- but that's the thing is you look at you know some of the stuff that that you're doing and the methods that you take because I know you have some courses online that people right. can go to and that you teach and you obviously teach in, in front of large crowds as well. Um. But it's it's basically the same thing is how to look at different rules, how to look at different parameters, and make calculated guesses based on that. Right. Stephen Covey had it right. Uh, habit number two is begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we are is I'm not really in a financial services industry. I don't sell stocks. I don't take stewardship of people's accounts. Yep. You know, we're educators. And so what we do is we say, what are your goals? You know, what do you want to do? Let's find the type of assets and the type of, of risks involved with those assets. Let's learn about how to mitigate those risks to get you exactly where you want to go. Because a lot of people in this industry are about advice, mm-hmm. buy this, buy that, put your money here. Yeah. Uh, if I do that, I'm not getting any smarter. If I said, Patrick, go buy gold. We didn't get smarter. Well, don't buy gold. We didn't get smarter. But if a person can get smarter, that's the real key to making the better decisions to get them where they want to go. So that's really the goal. Yep. Get uh, Transform yourself through financial education. Go from someone who doesn't understand what to buy to mm-hmm. someone who would understand what to buy. So here's the so so looking at what you know what we do is a lot of our clients have they don't like their qualified plans they don't like their 401ks yeah. and they they they've seen through uh, you know the BS that's out there um, but they don't really but that's the thing is before they're 59 and a half there's I mean they could liquidate but they have to pay taxes and penalties mm-hmm. there are some so there are some solutions out there. And, uh, and so yours is, of, of course, one of them where people can take control over, over the amount of money that they've accumulated. But you're talking about a different type of control. Different type of control is becoming educated so mm-hmm. that that money has less risk because of what you're doing with it. Yeah, we look at the asset classes. You have business, real estate, you have stocks, you have paper, you know, you have paper assets, commodities. They all have a different language and they all have a different purpose. My feeling is it comes to paper assets is I would, look at, I would look at people who are very successful, billionaire level, mm-hmm. and say, okay, how do they make their money in paper? How does Mark Cuban, Warren Buffett, George Soros, how do the guys that are billionaires make money in paper as opposed to the 401k people? Yeah. And, and a lot of people in, that sell 401ks try to give this Buffett-esque <laughs> type of wise, wisdom, old man stuff. Uh, Buffett sells derivatives for profit. He mm. sells billions of derivatives. Mm. No one in the 401k is selling derivatives. Yep. So, so it takes a lot more education. You can't, you can't right? What? Within mutual funds, you can't really... No. You can't use those type of trading strategies. You can't short. No. You can't buy options. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, Warren Buffett famously said... Famously said yeah. That diversification is an answer to ignorance. It makes very little sense yep. for those who know what they're doing. Unquote. Mm-hmm. And so, for for people to you know wave his banner of being conservative and try to put that on a label 
with a can full of mutual funds, I don't mm-hmm. buy it. They're not doing what the rich people are doing. They're making people rich. Yep. They're, they're, they're themselves. Making, yeah, they're making <laughs> Wall Street rich. Big time rich. Uh, so. And I, I'll, I'm going to plug a, a podcast that we did about two years ago with uh, with Barry Dyke. And Barry Dyke wrote The Pirates of Manhattan. And it goes through and it talks about the collusion between uh, academia, uh, Wall Street, the government and the media. It's a fascinating book, tons of research, but it goes into who is really the benefactor of, of a mutual fund. All right, so let's 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 start to, to wrap up. I have a few other questions for you about sure. some current event topics. You bet. So, so the first one is uh, is this whole high frequency trading mm. uh, that's in that's in the news, and uh, it's interesting because, in a sense, Wall Street has kind of gamed game people because it's gotten people to put huge amount of their money with them on each paycheck and uh and they're the ones that are really making out and then they get gamed by some of the high frequency traders <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're all crying but but i guess what is what are what's your opinion of that well it's funny you mentioned you know okay someone's going to manipulate something yeah. whether legal or illegally you know they were doing it matter. legally yeah, yeah i mean high, there's nothing about trading fast it's illegal but it is a form of manipulation. Well, manipulation has been a long, round, long, long time. And a lot of people get nervous saying, well, you know, can we compete with you know, computers and things? In the long term, the, what these guys are doing is they're scalping. They're trying to get a few pennies one way or the Pretty other. Sure, and, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're really a high, high frequency, high volume deal. Yeah. For a person like you and I, you know, the market's either going to go up 100 points or it goes down 100 points. I mean, and that's really it's going to affect our family. Yep. So the thing I tell people is whether it's high-frequency trading that causes it or if it's a contagion coming out of a, a Cyprus issue where they're going to you know, take everyone's money out of a bank or a debt to GDP in Japan, all these things can happen. When it comes down to it, the market either goes up, down, or sideways. And so I think the key is, is learning how to have the agility to make money up, down, or sideways and to see when these things begin. And, uh, and yeah, I get that question a lot. You know, we have the flash crash in 2010, yeah. intraday stuff. But for the average guy, he doesn't need to worry too much about that if he has the agility to know how to make money up or down, like Soros does. Yep. Cool. So, yeah. All right, last question is, so we're hitting these, it's, it still boggles my mind how much the market's gone up and the new levels it keeps hitting. <laughs> and I, I mean, part of me is like it's gonna crash it's gonna crash so what's your what's your opinion because i know that there's a lot of people out there that think it's just gonna keep going well i enough money out there you know i i I don't know that i could pinpoint the day and the time for people to put in their calendar right now (laughs) but i can say this i i would be on the side of people say this is largely unsustainable the amount of money required to uh, be put into the capital into these um, equities is astounding to be able to sustain the trends. I, if you took a, a trend of the S&P right now and extrapolated that out five years, I just can't imagine that those numbers could be maintained. And the, other, the big thing to watch is, the, of course, the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, Janet Yellen has, uh, has put us on a tapering schedule. And that's a lot like taking an oxygen mask off a patient or respirator to see if it can breathe for a while. <laughs> and if it can't breathe... It'll go back, back on. on. It'll and they'll start. They'll start. Uh, but before it goes back on, they're going to be. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I don't think we're too Gasp. far away from, uh, from seeing it. Hmm. at least a, not maybe a pullback, but at least a, a decrease in our rate of growth, yep. where our our trend will begin to flatten at okay. minimum. 
you know, people say up or down, probably a decrease in the rate of growth first. And, uh, but there's no way that thing's sustainable. There's just no way in my, I can't see it. Uh, well, there's certainly, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing just the markets and everybody guessing. And yeah. you know, it's funny that, you know, in hindsight, everybody thinks they're themselves a genius, but it's like looking at where it can go. It's just, nobody really knows. You see the trend and the word that comes to mind when I see the current trend is unsustainable. Yeah. Now, whether it's sustainable for another week or month or a year, mm-hmm. uh, but, but long-term, you know, five, 10 years, yeah. no way. No way this thing stays up for five years. So I know, and this is, I mean, I know uh, Robert Kiyosaki wrote about in in Prophecy. Prophecy. I know he comments throughout some other uh, books that he's written after that. But he talks a lot about, you know, the coming, there's a potential coming Mm -hmm. uh, downturn just because of the fact that there's a demographic that holds the the lion's share of the assets in uh, not just the U.S., but the world. And there, you know, in the U.S., there's you know trillions of dollars of qualified money, but the majority of that is held by this demographic. And so, yeah. the money that's saved is obviously uh, earmarked for being it being spent. I mean, people are going to live off of that once they don't work anymore. So, what's your as, as you because you sure. came on after prophecy? Sure. As you read that book and and looked at uh, Robert's philosophy and logic behind that, where, where, where do you stand with that? I'll, I'll tell you, that's a great question because mm-hmm. I disagreed with Robert on okay. that, and I'm the one that's turned out to be wrong. Um, my feeling was it would happen sooner, mm-hmm. and, and I'll tell you my feeling on that. There's a saying I use, which still stands, which is called policy and demographics give you your future. Mm-hmm. So here we have a policy, and this is the premise of the book. People in IRAs, 401ks, they have to begin a depreciation or they have to begin a distribution schedule at age 70 and a half. So here you have a date on a calendar, a demographic of 79 million Americans moving through time, mm-hmm. and they're going to hit 70 and a half about the same time. You know, they, they went to school at the same time, they went to Woodstock at the same time, they got out of drug rehab roughly <laughs> around the same time. Now they're going to face this 70 and a half sure. where they're, they're going to be liquidating. So the idea is if you have 79 million people that are moving from equities, into cash to pay debts. Even if you go back into equities, there's less money there. Yeah. So you have this exodus out of equities. Mm-hmm. It's a supply and demand market. The reason I, I, I told Robert I thought it would happen sooner is, yeah, you have the 70 and a half law, but there's a culture in, in Wall Street of moving from equities to debt as people age. And my thought was is that by the time they have 70 and a half and have to liquidate, most of the equities would be shifted over into you know lower-risk bonds, yep. right? That hasn't happened, and the reason that the reason I was wrong, this traditional idea of moving from equity to debt hasn't happened, simply because there's no yield in debt, and yeah. so people, yeah. so people in the baby boomer generation have been forced to stay in riskier investments <laughs> for a longer yield. period of time to get the yield. Yeah. But so I was so you know they were able to shift the culture maybe a little bit for need of yield, but they have not changed that date on the calendar. Hmm. And you got 79 million people here. Uh, Canada's got probably about 13 to 15 million baby boomers in the same situation. Japan has a similar demographic issue. Yep. So this is global. Yep. Um, Europe as well has a pretty big yeah. population. So he's saying, you know, the, that really starts to happen in the year 2016, 2017. Okay. But there's a lot of other storms that could happen before then. <laughs> you know, you've got to be on your toes. Uh, be on your well, toes. it's an interesting time that we live in. And... Of Fun. course, there's lots of there's lots of things that can make us pessimistic about oh, you know about our predicament uh, uh, plural predicaments. 
but at the same time, you know, we also have a you know a really cool age. And we were talking about this. Never previously. been a better time to be alive. Never it's been a better time. Just the stuff that's being invented, the solutions people are trying to uh, to create. Because of course, there's lots of problems, lots of issues. But you know, there's a lot of people that are you know trying to trying to solve those. So it's again, it's a fascinating time. We're in chaos, but the you know the world's always been in chaos. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's really those that uh, they're educated, you those that are aware, um, that uh, that shine that shine through. And so the educated person is the person that sees the tragedy as an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are very excited for a crash because yeah. it provides movement, yeah. and movement provides opportunity. So it's yeah. not something to fear. Yeah. It can actually be something to look forward. But you hit it on the head. This is an education issue, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's and not to beat a dead horse, but probably a lot of what's going to come down the pipe is going to be a reaction to uh, well, it's it's an emotional reaction as opposed mm-hmm. to a logical reaction. And so, oftentimes, when I think it was uh, one of the Rothschilds says that uh, when there's blood in the streets, buy isn't that it? <laughs> no, it, it, it's when there's blood in the streets, even if it's your own, buy. That's what he, that's what he said. <laughs> so awesome. All right, Andy. Well, we're uh, wow. We've gone over a little bit, but that's okay. It was awesome to, to have you here and get your insight into this. We'll have you we'll have you back in the future. You're not very far away, so I enjoyed the time. Thanks yeah. so much for having me, Patrick. It's always good to visit with you. We have great conversations. So yeah. a lot of fun. I agree. Cool. All right. So your your website, andytanner.com. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. And then you're on Facebook. The whole you post thing. some funny stuff on, on Facebook. The boo. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so go check Andy out. Uh, I'm sure they'll have links to, to purchase his uh, to purchase his book. And uh, with that being said, we will uh, sign off. Thanks, Andy. Hey, thanks so much, Patrick.